Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Craig, and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. Today, we talk mental health in football with owner of the football mindset, John Johnston. In a fascinating chat, John talked to me about the ways he helps professional footballers overcome mental hurdles in order to improve their game. We cover John's podcast and his successful book, Master Your Confidence, an essential tool for professional footballers, which is available now on Amazon. Later, I asked John to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit about what they mean to him. There's Shankly's Reds, Scotland's Tartan and Ronaldo's Yellow worn at the World Cup in France 98. You can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow and share but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by football psychologist and owner of Football Mindset. It's John Johnston. How you doing, John? I'm good, mate. I'm not too bad. Hopefully coming towards the end of lockdown, restrictions are easing. So yeah, I'm all good. And looking out the window, it's sunny here in Scotland. So if it's sunny in Scotland, you have got to be happy. Exactly. <laughs> Make the most of it, I guess. Correct. No, 100%. It's been frost in the mornings, but as the day goes on, it's getting brighter and brighter, which is can only be a good thing. And let's say with the football and whatnot still going on, hopefully before not too long, we're back in stadiums in the sun watching games. Exactly, mate. Hopefully for the Euros, of course. Um, so, John, uh, give you a bit of an intro to start there. Do, do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do in football? No problems. My name is John Johnston. Often referred to referred to as a lot of things, but <laughs> JJ is probably the most common and the kind of nicest thing that I get referred to as. But my background is I am a I'd call myself a mental skills coach that works with professional footballers. So that can be professional footballers at all level, whether that's international footballers. Um, initially in my journey, it was working with a lot of people or players, should I say, in the SPL, so the top league in Scotland. Yeah. Now working with lads that are playing in England and whatnot. So I work with a, a wide range of professional footballers. And the easiest way to, when you hear words like psychologists and mental skills coaches and whatnot, the way that I like to sum up what I do for the listener, just to give a little insight is, and I'll ask you this, do you know how at times in life you think things that you don't want to think and maybe feel things that you don't want to feel? Yeah, okay, yeah. 
basically what I do with a professional footballer is I help them understand why they're thinking that way, why they are feeling that way, and ultimately what they need to do in order to change it. And that can be that could be for a variety kind of things, or that could be a variety, say, reasons. So it could be a player is struggling with pre-match self-doubt. So I help him understand why he's feeling anxious, why yeah. he's feeling nervous, why he's feeling pressure, why he's doubting himself. I help him understand why he feels like that and ultimately what he needs to do in order to change that. But right. also it could be a player on the football park that I'd say is playing with the shackles on. So playing with the shackles on, you might see it as a player maybe struggling with a bit of confidence, struggling with belief. They're, they know they want to go forward, but they're yeah. going sideways, they're going backwards. Again, I help them understand why they're doing that. They know fine well they want to play forward, but I help them understand from a kind of mental point of view, I help them understand why they're doing it, why they're not playing forward, and then ultimately what they need to do in order to release the shackles. And to simplify what I do, I believe that the the inner game drives the outer game. Right. And whether that's nutrition, whether that's the technical side of the game, tactical, physical, it is all driven by the inner game. It's all driven by the mind. So the better, quicker, stronger, or whatever you want to say it, we can make the player's mind. Yeah. Every other decision or everything that they do with regards to their outer game, I believe, has got to be better as a result. So is that, you, you talked about kind of like mental blocks that footballers have. Would your kind of advice be purely around the sports side of it? Or are there kind of more personal, it, do you know what I'm getting at? Like a footballer might have some kind of personal issues going on in their life. Do you work with them on that? Or is it purely on a sport basis? Well, the, the vast majority of players that come to work with me it's from a performance point of view. Yeah. But sometimes after you spend 20 minutes or you spend half an hour or an hour with them, they start to realise that maybe the reason that they're not performing on the park is something to do with off the park. So right. predominantly a player will come to me to, whether it's to help them score more goals, perform better, perform more consistently. But without doubt, what happens in their life off the park or what's going on off the park has a massive impact on on the park. And, I basically work in three main areas. Where any player that comes to work with me, number one, the main kind of one of the main areas is the mind. And basically, when I say the mind is helping them understand again, originally what I was saying, how their brain is wired, why they're thinking, feeling the way that they're thinking and feeling, and what they need to do in order to change it. So really understand how is the brain wired, how does the brain work, and then the next step that we look at is helping them deal with opinions because especially social media and obviously the crowds and whatnot aren't in just now, but especially social media, players' performances are judged at the touch of a button or a player can be slaughtered at the touch of a button. Right. So again, we look at, I, I always say to players that you're only open to judgment to the extent you don't know yourself. So helping them understand their beliefs, helping them understand their values, helping them understand what they need to do in order to deal with other people's opinions. Yeah. That's kind of step two that I work on with players. And then number three, and this is a step that everybody comes for, but without step one and step two, it's kind of irrelevant, is the performance side. So helping them put a system in place for their pre-match, helping them put a system in place for during the match, and then helping them put a system in place for after a match. And so many players, they have systems and processes for their nutrition, for their training, for the tactical side of the game, technical, but they're just, what's the right word, ignoring or paying lip service, For in my opinion, to the mental side. That's so interesting. So do you, is your work coming through the players or is it coming through the clubs? Are the clubs contacting you say, look, we need to look after our players' mental health and improve their sport and performance or is it mainly players individually that come to you? It's players individually. So... Right. 
to kind of to accelerate through my journey. So I remember my kind of background was personal training originally. So just going back a few years, I was personal training, then it got to the point that people were wanting to lose weight. I helped them understand or I kind of understood it wasn't a diet problem. It wasn't a training problem they had. Ultimately, they had a problem with their mind. Ultimately, they had a problem dealing with stress that was leading right. to overeating or not training. Right. And then from there, I was like, you know what? The work that I do, I've always been a football nut, football 24-7 all my life, uh, yeah. played it and whatnot. And it got to the point I'm like, these tools I have that I'm helping the general public with 100% could help. I thought at the time, let's target a football manager. Right. But it came clear that a football manager probably, he might get six weeks, six months, why is he going to implement my methods if he's only getting one shot at it? Okay. And then I thought, listen, the player is going to, or the manager has got to give the advice to the player anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let's go direct to the player. So what I'd done, I never had any, I never had results at that point, but I had a message that I believed um, 100% I believed in. I had a kind of way working that 100% believed in. So I just started whether it was emailing players, whether it was let, sending letters to players. I've seen myself knocking on, like, see Neil Lennon's window and Asda Car Park to chin them. I've, I've just, <laughs> honestly, been about 800 messages to players before the first one says, I, I'll work with you. Okay. And what I've done, I just went out to grassroots clubs. Professional players, I never had results at that point, but I just went around all my local grassroots clubs, hundreds of hours for free, working with kids, working with parents, working with pub teams, anybody. And then it was, let me get this date right, July, I think it was, 2017. Right. The f- my first paying client or my first professional footballer stepped on board and says, I'll start to work with you. And it was John Suter Harps. Yeah, okay. Um, and then from there, it just, it's kind of snowballed. And four years later, I'm still, still kind of swinging punches, still kind of yeah. doing away. And uh, my client base is, it's growing and, thankfully or i've got to a point there where last month which is march at the time of recording was my most successful month ever it's taken four years to get to this point but it seems to be growing yeah hopefully do you think that's a trend a wider trend in football then that players are looking after their kind of mental health as well as everything else more so yes yeah i think yeah i think there is that um but i think as well a lot of my work, as much as I'm very active on, like, say, social media and whatnot, mm. a lot of my work comes word to mouth. If right. I look at players I work with quite often, my first contact has been introducing myself and said that I've worked with your mate or I've worked with your teammate or I've worked with someone that you know, and straight away it just kind of lowers that or it breaks down that barrier. Is there still a stigma around a footballer working on their inner game? I think it's fair to say there is. Right. But the more help you can give to players or the more results you can get with current clients, shall I say, the more likely it is that the next one comes on. But yeah. there's more and more, like, you've got your podcast, you might voice opinions on your podcast on certain things. It might be a right. player's performance. I've got my own podcast, I can voice my opinion. And more and more people have got more and more access to voice opinions Mm-hmm. We're all like newspapers. We're all like, kind of like, here's what I've been up to during my day. And sometimes it kind of, you start commenting or talking about other people. Yeah. And footballers can be judged at the drop, or if you want to say the drop of a hat, touch your button 24 7. Yep. Thankfully, I've I've got a podcast that's it's not that successful. So I didn't have people commenting about me every single day with regards to my podcast. But yeah. some footballers go out there and they perform in front of 60, 70,000 people every week. 
Yeah. And they could create a... Like, if you take a TV game, a player can make a mistake in the first half of a game, and before he gets down the tunnel into the changing room for half time, some, there might already be 600 comments saying how poor a player he is after one mistake. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the thing is, we could all sit there and say, I could sit here and say, you know what, I think I could deal with that. You could sit there and say, you know what, you think you could deal with that. But the truth is, until you're actually in these shoes, and I've never been in those shoes, mm. uh, you, you'll never, ever know. And you see it nowadays on social media. There's been quite a high-profile incident in the last few days in, in Scotland with regards to videoing people. The amount yeah. of people that stick something on social media and that trying to slate somebody, then their post goes viral, and before you know it, it's deleted. So they've had their wee insight. They've slated the professional footballer. They've had their insight into it for 30 minutes. Boom, I've deleted my account. I can't handle that. A footballer has that exposure 24-7. So do you think the clubs... Or, or in fact, here's the question. Do, are the clubs doing more and recognising that fact and kind of making taking care of their players more so? Because you said that the players are coming to you. Should the clubs be doing more? I think without the doubt, without a doubt, I think the clubs should be doing more. Now, don't get me wrong, there will be, there'll be certain clubs that go above and beyond in that, whereas there'll be certain clubs that don't even scratch the surface. The only thing I would say... Say you are a footballer who is struggling with their inner game due to, due to I don't know, say gambling. You're, you're a gambler or you've got a drug addiction. You're struggling with your mental game in, in regards to that. Yeah. The season's kind of coming to an end soon. So the season's got a month or two to go. You're out of contract in the summer. You're struggling with your mental health or your inner game due to your gambling addiction and your contract's up in two months. Are you going into the club to tell them that you've got a gambling addiction and you're struggling with your mental health when yeah. your contract's up in two months? Yeah. Probably no. You're probably going to kind of bury your head and fingers crossed you get this deal. And then if you get a deal, it's probably got to be brilliant. And then you've got even more money to go and gamble. So I, I, I get that. And again, the reason I work one-to-one with players or the reason I have worked one-to-one with players up to this point is I don't believe my work would be as powerful within a club. That right. doesn't mean to say I'll never work with a club. Um, I don't have any ambitions to at this point, but I've never been presented with opportunity. So it's all right saying I wouldn't do it. But yeah. <laughs> when you're presented with opportunity, it might be different. But my work would not be as powerful. And again, if you've if you're struggling with your form because of the manager, and say I'm in a certain club and I'm wearing the same tracksuit as the manager. Are you going to come to me with my track? I'm wearing the same track suit as the manager. Are you going to come to me and slate the manager? Yeah. Or say you've got an issue with the manager? Probably not. Why? Because I'm, well, personally, I'd like to think I wouldn't tell the manager, but there's probably something in your head thinking he's got to go back and tell the manager. And you know what? We're talking about this through through the eyes of a footballer or through the football industry. But this would go the same if any listeners are bankers, if any of the business, if anybody in here is a hairdresser or whatever it might be that's listening, any occupation you have, it'll work yeah. exactly the same. You're probably not going to slate your boss to somebody that's got to run back and tell your boss. Why? Because they'll get you out the door. It's, yeah, that's so interesting. And, it, and again, that's, so it said with the, with the work that I've done before working with footballers, I'd help people with regards to weight loss, um, could be relationships, stopping smoking, just kind of day-to-day things in business. So, but it's the same tools. It's just applied in a, well, you're applying the same tools, but just in a unique situation. Yeah. And that goes for anything. Like even 
footballers at the end of the day are just employees. Footballers are just doing their job. Mm-hmm. That that's fact. It's no. I folk can say oh, it's a hobby, it's a passion, or I'd love to do it, or. But everybody's like, again, the one that gets me is everybody's like, oh, footballer should want to be the best that he can be. Yeah. Why should he? Why should he? Like, if you go to the doctor, you'll not refuse to go to the doctor because the doctor doesn't want to be the best that he can be. Or you'll not go, I'm not going to that mechanic because he doesn't want to be the best that he can be. Doctor, mechanic, footballer, they're all just occupations. But we somehow think, oh, footballer should want to be the best. Now, granted, it would be great if the footballer, if all footballers did want to be the best that they could be, but why should they? Why should they be held to different levels or standards than every other occupation? Yeah. Do you know there's a few there's been a few footballers, but very few recently that have said, oh, I just do football as a job. And, and when they do say that, you're right. It's quite a, like a quite a thing that people are shocked by. I remember, do you remember the left back at Tottenham, Benoit Asuakotu? And he yep. came out in an article, didn't he? And he said, like, I'm just doing this for a job, and when it's done, I'm done. I'm not staying in football, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think he retired yep. early, and I think he retired in like quite close to being 30, I think. It's quite an interesting point you make. Yeah, and I was listening to an interview with John Joe Shelby yeah. a few weeks ago. Again, it was on a podcast. I think it was with Charlie Austin. Um, and he was talking about, and he was just talking about how he had the opportunity at one point to potentially go to Dubai, I think it was, to play. Yeah. And I think his agent's like, oh, you're too young to go there. And obviously it's a few years ago, and he was thinking, think of the amount of money I would be making in Dubai. And my agent's telling me I'm too young. He says, I wasn't too young to go there. And he says, listen, a lot of the listeners will think that's not right. But he says, at the end of the day, my football career only lasts so long. I want to take care of myself. I want to take care of my family. He says, I want to make as much money as I possibly can from this before I I retire. And people might look at that and go, that's the wrong attitude. He shouldn't be thinking like that. But at the end of the day, if that's his truth, that's his truth. No, every footballer's like that. Yeah. But I, again, it's like when a footballer moves. If a footballer moves from one club to another, oh, that's terrible. That's that he's no showing loyalty or whatnot. But if somebody went from their ASDA to their Tesco's for two weeks for double the wage, you're probably not going to sit there and go, that guy's loyalty to ASDA was terrible. He should yeah. never go to AS for to Tesco's for double the wage. You're right. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask you, John. Um, you, you work kind of a lot in Scottish football, but you said you, you work with a lot of international footballers as well. I, I wanted to ask, have you noticed a difference between the way Scottish football treats mental health amongst its footballers versus other countries that you might have worked in or had experience in? I think... Um, I, good question. Off the top of my head, I, I'm going to say no. Now, the, to be fair, the international footballers I've worked with are all Scotland. And okay. I kind of a small feather in my cap. Two, two of those guys, actually, they made their debut whilst working with myself. Now, how to be fair, how influential I was in helping them get that first cap, but they achieved their first cap whilst working with myself. Who, but who I think they, that... Can you say? Are you able to say? Or... I, like John Souter, he was... Um, well, John Souter is still at Hearts. Um, yeah. And Chris Cadden. Chris Cadden, I think, yes. just now is my longest-serving client. Uh Worked with Chris for so I worked with John for a couple of years. I worked with Chris for I think it's coming up three and a half years now. Right. And right. obviously he made his debut. Both those guys or lads have made their debuts for Scotland. But I think that it all depends. Like I, I work with certain guys and their dad. They're really into the self development and the mindset stuff because their dad is. Maybe their dads kind of gave them that upbringing and how important it is. Um, you work with other lads and. 
they've not got a clue what their mindset is. They're not sure what their mindset's actually for or how it influences them. So I think it's probably unique and to kind of put everybody under one bracket to say Scotland's further behind than England or this country's further behind than that country. It would be tough. But what I would say, I think that if you want to talk psychologists, all those kind of things, I would imagine your English clubs will have a lot more access to that than Scottish. And one reason for that, I think, will be money right. will be and again if you look at the amount of money that goes into the english pfa compared to the scottish pfa and whatnot yeah i would imagine that the money for that it would completely dwarf it so if you go to an english premier league club you might have six seven eight psychologists yeah but if you go to an spl club there'll be spl clubs that don't have a psychologist yeah so it just varies kind of thing, club to club and also player to player. It's yeah. a player's willingness to kind of improve their own mental health, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think that where clubs probably can improve is a lot of times it's, now you can't force somebody to speak, of course, but a lot of times it's it's an open door policy. You go and speak to somebody when you want. Yeah. But a massive part of what I do, and I think what probably Sepp makes what I do different is a massive part of it is education. Mm-hmm. helping them understand the why, why you're thinking like that, why you're feeling like that, why you're doing that kind of thing you don't want to do. And also here's to, here's how to change it. So yeah. like I, said, I spoke about the three steps earlier with regards to mindset, performance, and uh, you as a person. And I actually, anybody that works with me, as it stands just now, this may change in the future. Anybody that signs up to work with me will be working with me for a minimum of six months. Right, okay. If somebody says, I want to do one session, as it stands, I don't offer that. It's six months, and they'll actually go through a system. So they'll go through a kind of form of teaching, and without doubt, they're getting tools, they're getting techniques, they're asking questions in that, but there's a lot of what I do is based on education. So yeah, there's that saying, what is it? Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Um, Teach a man how to fish and he'll feed for a lifetime, and that's kind of what I look to try to do with any player that I work with is actually yeah. teach them how to fish not just give them the fish teach them and so they can go away after they've worked with me thinking if I'm in this situation again I know what I need to do yeah it's all about commitment on their side I guess um so John you, you touched briefly about your podcast as well I wanted to ask you a bit about that and um you're you're putting a lot of kind of commitment into that at the moment there's a lot of episodes coming out um, where you're kind of sharing your thoughts on specific instances that you see in football, etc. I've listened to a few of them. They're really intriguing. Um, what, what's the kind of background on that? So why I started up the... So my business is Football Mindset. Um, my social media, I'm very active on Instagram, other ones not so much. Um, right. But I was looking at how is it, what are other ways in order to get my content out there? What's other ways in order to can he get my voice out there? And I thought, you know what? Let's go, let's start, let's start a podcast. So I just started, my first one would have been a few years ago and I'd done, I'd done 19 episodes at my first go. And when I stopped, that would be a couple of years ago now. It was just after Liverpool Spurs in the Champions League final. I recorded an episode after the midweek of that. So I'd done 19 episodes. And then I thought, you know what, during lockdown, I'm like, I'm got I'm gonna put out daily content. Cause I'm like, you know what, let's use this time. Let's let's go out there, let's commit to something daily content. And I was looking at doing videos on Instagram and that, and I thought, Instagram, the time's limited, somebody's not going to watch a video on Instagram. I thought, let's get the podcast back up. Yeah. So for episode 20, what I said is I'm gonna to commit to doing an episode a day 
for a year, Monday, Friday for a year. Wow. Um, I never, what, I kind of left myself a wee, a wee bit of uh, kind of space in regards to obviously your Christmas, your New Year, and obviously the close season. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but basically that would be, if my maths are right, 260 episodes within a year. Yeah. And I'm now at episode, I think it's 130 odds just went out the other day. And it's just, as you spoke about, it's just me kind of putting out my beliefs with regards to the mental side of the game, talking about certain situations, giving a little bit of my story, helping people kind of understand where I come from and my beliefs and whatnot. And what I would say with my podcast, it's, it's aimed at professional footballers, but I put out, I'm to teach you on it. I put out too much information and something that I struggle with is kind of revealing my story and, kind of helping people understand more about me as a person I don't hold anything back I just struggle at times to tell my story that's why I love coming on things like this right. somebody asking questions but I, I just every day I'll put out a new episode and we're 130 odd in and by the end of it we're going to have a it'll be a nice library of football mindset audios I'd say that can we can go forward with yeah and you've also written a book right master your confidence yeah so Started lockdown, obviously, English leagues were shutting, Scottish leagues were shutting, and for a guy that's got a, his business or his livelihood comes from professional football, there was a bit, uh-oh. Yeah. And then <laughs> I sat with that for half a day, and I'm like, I thought no footballer would need to work on their inner game or want to work on their inner game during lockdown. So I sat with it for half a day, I woke up the next again day, and I'm like, is that true? And then I thought, you know what, if there was ever a time for a footballer to work on their inner game, it was during lockdown. Oh, if yeah. there is ever a time for a footballer to work on their inner game, it's when they weren't playing games. So I've kind of, during that, I sort of built this narrative of in struggle, there is opportunity. And during lockdown, I think the struggle was going to find everybody, but it was up to me to go and find the opportunity or go and create the opportunity. So what I've done is the spare bedroom was meant to be getting plastered and painted just before lockdown. Um, the week the plasterers meant to come in to do it, that was the week we went into lockdown. So I went into the spare bedroom three days, four hours each day, and I just banged out this book. It was 30 to 40,000 words. Right. And then my dad's my dad's mate, a guy called Alistair, couldn't have done it without him. He stepped forward and he says, listen, I've never edited a book before, yep. but I've been in France, I've lived in France, and I used to edit university papers. Okay. If you need a hand with editing, I'll give you a hand. And so I, I put this book together in three days. I also interviewed a few people um, within the book. So mm -hmm. guys like John Collins, obviously scored at the World Cup for Scotland. Um, yeah. Jim Magelton, he had come through at Liverpool. Michael McGovern, who was Northern Ireland's goal at the 2016 Euros. So I interviewed... Yeah, so he played Celtic. He's now at Norwich, came through yeah. at Hamilton. Uh, he's got a cracking story. Guys like Cy Ferry, who's obviously still playing. He's got his own podcast going on now. And yeah. I interviewed loads of different people to get there because I feel I can bring the tools. I feel I can bring knowledge. I feel I can bring results with regards to current clients who, to be fair, some of them came in and gave interviews. But what I can't give is I've no stood in front of 60,000 people. I've no stood in front of 30,000 people trying to execute. As much as I did play, I never played anywhere near that level. Yeah, but yeah. guys like Lee McCulloch talking about what he'd done in order to deal with pressure in the old fun games. Guys like Jim Magellan talking about Kenny Dalgleish 
yeah. guys like John Collins talking about training with Thierry Henry, David Trezeguet at Monaco, um, that even talking about Virgil van Dijk, that is a kind of insight that I could never give the reader, yeah. but these guys could. So we made the boot or we kind of got the book together. It was edited and the way that I'd say it is I basically gave a blunt saw, sword to the editor and he yeah. sharpened it. But every word in there is, it's, it's my words, it's my concepts, it's my beliefs. But what he done was just put the commas and the full stops and the capital letters and that. He just yeah, did yeah. It. He just put all them in the right place and it got released earlier this year. And to be fair, some of the guys that have got their books, like say there's guys playing in the Premier League in England that have picked up the book. There's right. um, say guys that have kind of played international football and that picked up the book. So it's, it's out there and it's still sort of slowly trickling out. And I think at one point we were sitting above Andy Robertson for the I don't know, it was the best newcomer that week, but I think his book had been out for weeks. Mine's was fresh, so I think yeah, that's yeah. why I jumped ahead of him. But nice. It was a great experience, loved it. Brilliant. Fantastic. So you can get that on Amazon, right? It's on it's on Amazon, um, Apple Books and whatnot. And I also an absolute nightmare because I try to build my own kind of sound booth to record an audiobook. Okay. It is an audiobook. So I spent I spent days trying to build my own audio booth to record it. Yeah. It worked the first time, then after it, there was this little buzz that I could not get rid of. Oh, so I ended up having to, I hired a studio in Edinburgh. And when I hired the studio, got the address and I'm like, this is just a flat. So it was like 14 stroke three. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, so you're turning up here. And I'm like, this is either got to be a cracking studio yep. or I'm going to meet trouble at this door. <laughs> and to be fair, listen, I knocked on the door and it was seeing a young guy, a guy in his 20s who is basically like me but he was obsessed with sound and we're recording and that and I just went up to his flat and whilst recording last day recording he had to move his studio into another flat so I then had to kind of alter it all and a nightmare oh, wow. but we eventually got it and there's an audiobook out now as well and nice. so they be stories that kind of make the book and the audiobook what it was yeah or what yeah. it is fantastic so John look before I speak to you about football shirts I just wanted to ask you is there kind of like, do you ever see a player or is there one player you think that you see play, like maybe you're watching the Champions League or something and you think, bloody hell, this player keeps on doing the same thing. Is there something, I just wish I could get in contact with him and help him. Is there somebody out there that you think you can improve their game immediately? There's, I'm, the way I think, I look at everybody thinking I could make them better. Right, okay. <laughs> I love the I'm like, if any, if any footballer thinks I want to work on men or game, I'm yeah. 100% certain I can help them do that. But if a player doesn't want to work on his inner game and he's sitting at the other side of the the other side of the screen, should I say, if yeah. somebody doesn't want to be helped, he can't help them. But any footballer in the world that wants to be helped, I've got the confidence and belief that I can help them. But what yeah. I would say on that, it's like, is there any player that you think, you know what, you could help? Not so much do I think, could I help them? But my goal or my target or my ambition is to be working with players at Liverpool. Um, been a Liverpool fan for as long as I can remember growing up, being a Liverpool nut so players playing yeah. at Liverpool and also players that are playing for Scotland at a national tournament or an international tournament but being successful there, so no going there and getting knocked out the first round is normal going there and actually being successful that's kind of two things that I would love to do Yeah. and as for looking at players thinking could you help them and this might be quite insightful for for the listener, 
I'm always talking to my players about how often other players make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Quite often we think in life you shouldn't make mistakes, you should never give the ball away. And I'm sure it was Wales that were playing Belgium just the other day or the other week in international football. And one of my clients texts me saying, I've just player calmed Kevin De Bruyne yeah. and the amount of mistakes he makes is incredible. So I'm like, all right, cool. The week after he came back and he was playing for Man City and they were on TV. And yeah. another client messaged me, I'm just watching Kevin De Bruyne. The amount of mistakes he makes is unreal. So they were both text, both messaging exactly the same thing for different games about arguably one of the best players in the world, the amount yeah. of mistakes they make. And you, you'd probably be amazed if you were to player cam, like so you say the Liverpool, Real Madrid game or whatnot. If you player cam someone in that, the amount of mistakes they make, it's like Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think did he not break the record the other day 65 times he lost possession in a game. Yeah. When I played, I didn't lose the ball 65 times because I did not touch the ball 65 times. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, John, should we talk about some football shirts? Let's go. So the first question I ask everybody on the podcast is, what do football shirts mean to you? 
but the fact you're looking and I've got two two hung up behind me. Football, yeah. football shirts mean everything. I was one of them as a kid. Um, as much as I grew up supporting Hibs in Scotland and Liverpool were my team in England. Yeah. As a kid, I'd wear Spurs shirts. I'd wear Aston Villa tops. I would wear you name it, Man City tops, anything. And it was like, yeah, it was back back in the day when it was sports division, the yes. sports shop. Yeah. And then it get to a point, right, they kits are gone at £15 and you'd maybe be gone on holiday and next minute you're like, right, I'll take that. It's a tenner, right, mum, can I get this? And you'd be walking about with Villa tops, you'd be walking about with Man City tops and that. Yeah. And football kits, I don't buy many football kits. Just now, um, I normally ask clients for their kits and get them yes. framed and whatnot, but ah, they're just, they're so striking. Like, see, just now I'm looking at, one of my clients I got a Newcastle top for him once he's played with Newcastle right. and just the black and white stripes Newcastle as a club means nothing to me but when you see the black and white stripes and then you go back to I think it was the 95 96 season with the big collar in that yeah. I'm not a Newcastle fan but I remember that Yeah, and yeah. they just it's funny because now with the work that I do my allegiance to clubs like say Hibs and Liverpool isn't what it was Interesting. If I had the option, a client wins or Liverpool or Hibs win, I'd be the client every day of the week now. Right. Okay. And I've I've been there and again I've mentioned I've worked with two or three players that are at Hearts. Obviously Hearts are Hibs' biggest rivals. Yeah. And it got to the point you're like the heart like say maybe the Hearts boys were playing well or whatnot, maybe beating Hibs. It never struck a chord. It didn't bother me. Right. I refused to go to the Hearts Hibs games. I wasn't sitting in a Hearts hand watching them play Hibs, but <laughs> the work that I do now it just sort of it desensitises you a little more and that's something I actually miss yeah following a club week in week out or following results week in week out um, it's something that I'm not saying I never thought I would but I certainly miss it now yeah that's really interesting okay so look your first choice is the Liverpool home shirt from 1964 now this has got an amazing story especially in terms of psychology Um, how come you've uh, chosen this one mate Exactly what you've said there. Yeah. The psychology. But to go back a step, my allegiance to Liverpool. Liverpool had a kit, I think it was probably 94, 95. It was a yellow kit and it was yeah. terrible, horrific. And <laughs> yeah. a, a lad that I'm now a mate with, he's a little bit older than me. He walked past the window. I always remember him walking past the window. And I don't know if it's when you're younger, you can respect people that are older. Like I'm talking four or five years older. And yeah, okay. he's, he's obviously a bit cooler. He's older and he had this Liverpool top. And for then, just like, well, he's wearing that, that li- terrible Liverpool top. And I'm like, Liverpool are my team. I remember really? going out, buying Liverpool books, reading Liverpool. And since then, <clears throat> like say Bill Shankly, if there's a Bill Shankly story I've not heard, they'd be amazed. Like say Bill Shankly <laughs> books, audios, even just his the way he talks for me, it's absolutely gripping. And I love Bill Shankly. I love his values. I love what he stands for. And like say that you're talking about the Liverpool, the Liverpool top from '64, and obviously Bill Shankly. You've talking about psychology there. He played a massive role in that. So Liverpool yeah. never used to play in all red. And then before a, a game against Anderlecht, obviously Shankly's had the thought of what would happen if we go all red. Yeah. And he had taken the captain, who at the time was a guy called Ron Yates. He was for Liverpool, or he was from Scotland, sorry, they signed him for Dundee United. Right. They took, he basically took him into a changing room and goes, put that on. So he put on the all red kit for the first time 
and then I think he had walked out away up to the park. Ron yeah. Yates is like, I couldn't find him. And then he brought him out and he just says that I just looked at him and he was like using words like awesome, terrifying, giant, seven foot. Yeah. And it was just, if you look at, again, over the last week or so, Liverpool, Real Madrid, obviously Champions League games have been getting played. The yeah. all red against the all white and you're talking about the psychology of it. Yeah. Even think, to if you think of Tiger Woods on the last Sunday of every major he plays in, what color? What's he? What color is his top? It's red. Right. Okay. And if you again, it's that like to that red. It's kind of shankly. It was it was danger. It was power. And yeah. when you see something like say, oh, especially one color, but that red, it probably does make players look bigger. Yeah. It yeah. probably does strike a wee bit more fear into that kind of opposition, and then. You combine the way Bill Shankly spoke, the way he spoke about his team, the way he spoke about the opposition. You combine how just how good the Liverpool team were, and yeah. then you combine it with this this kind of all red kit. Then you combine it with Anfield, the stories that come from there, and then you've got this sort of all these things. I think are adding into what became a kind of a formidable force. Yeah, yeah, like building a myth kind of thing as well, isn't it? And red becomes part of that myth as well, a sea of red at the top and all that stuff. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that, like I say, a lot of the stories now, you could look at in recent years, the Dortmund come back at Anfield, obviously the Barcelona come back at Anfield against these clubs. But so many of these kind of stories or so much of it came back from, you're saying a myth, probably a lot of it is a myth, but certainly yeah. there's some truth, like say San Etienne games and all that. And that's what it was built from. And it was just, it was, a, it was a working class club and you could argue it still is a working class club but I think football clubs now, even when you're talking kits, back then I don't know what a kit would have cost you or even a few years ago what would a kit cost you nowadays yeah. you can go and get a top or a kit for like a £100. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, aye, but you combine that. Let's go back to that Liverpool top you've got Shankly who's obviously Scottish, you've got the old school values but you've also got guys like Ian St John obviously just sadly passed away recently. He was Scottish. You had Willie Stevenson. He was Scottish. And then just yeah. football, I think, back then was, I don't know if purer is the right word, but it was just, it was different. Even the commentary and everything was different. And it yeah. was that all red kit. And I think, obviously, they went out. They won the game 3-0. Yeah. And I, th I think that was it. Oh, we won 3-0, so let, let's just keep it going. But... You take somebody like Ron Yates, always remember walking past him outside Anfield. He right. was a big, big guy. Like, see, as it was, he was a big, big guy. Yeah. But to then stick him in all red, like, see, tree trunks for legs and whatnot, yeah. you've then just got this, you've got this kind of animal. Yeah. He turned six foot into seven foot, I guess. Oh, exactly, aye. And I, I think Shankly actually said one time, like, say, what height are you? And I don't know. He says, you're seven foot. He's like, I'm no seven foot. See, I'm six foot four. He's like, that's close enough, seven foot. Yeah, yeah. Even like wrestlers. Thinking, oh, exactly. And when they signed when he signed them and he actually signed Ron Yates in Edinburgh Waverley train station. Really? And Ron Yates is like I never I I never really knew much of Liverpool at the time. Yeah. And he got speaking to Shankly and uh, Shankly's like blah blah blah, first division. And Ron Yates is like, First division, I thought you were in the second division. Yeah. He says, aye, we are, son, but with you, we're going to be in the first. <laughs> and it's just, again, it's that myth, it's that story. And it's, I think nowadays you get so much exposure to people, so many interviews. And as much as there is, there is minutes of Shankly out there or there's a few hours, there's not a great deal. So we know a little bit 
Yeah. But the rest that we don't know, we just kind of have to make up. Yeah. Mate, beautiful stuff. Right, let's move on to your second shirt. So this is the Scotland 94 to 96 home shirt. It's the Tartan one used at Euro 96. This is a very popular one. It's been chosen a couple of times before as well. Right, so my question to you, is that actually a good top or is that a bad top? <laughs> so I'm, I still sit there. Like, so when you ask the question, and the reason I've chosen it, um, that was my first ever Scotland kit. I remember right. getting... So I, me born in 89, I was seven. So that was my first ever Scotland kit. I had the kind of tartan top, I had the tartan shorts and whatnot. Yeah. And that's why I chose it. But I was still sitting there thinking, is this a good top or is it not a good top? Like, so the tartan, is it a stroke of genius or is it horrific? And not just like, say, that 96 top, the one after, like, say, I think it would have been 97 just after that, and then the one at World Cup 98. But the reason I, they were the three I was kind of swithering about, but the reason I plumped for the 96 one is because that's the first major tournament that I remember. Yeah. Um, I I'm saying I remember it. It's not certainly no crystal clear, but I remember certain parts of it. Like I remember Scotland, England, and the village that I lived in, it was a gala that day. So obviously right. I remember that being out in the park, then you're going back in. Obviously you've got like, say, Gaza's goal in that game. Yeah. But not just that, you obviously had Gaza who was playing for Glasgow Rangers at the time. He was playing in it against some of his, obviously, Rangers opponents. Yeah. I remember Alan McCoy's goal against Switzerland in that tournament. And the funny thing is, I interviewed him for the book, and Euro 96, at the start of lockdown, ITV announced that they were going to do a rerun of all the games. Yes. And that yeah. was, it's my favourite tournament. I don't remember that much about it, but if I could go back to a tournament and replay it, I think due to England doing so well, as well, where obviously they got to the semi-finals. Yeah. There's been programs since. There's, I think the dentist chair was just before that. And yeah. I think everything now, like even the, that song, like say it's coming home or three lines in that, just the exposure it got. Yeah. It was just, uh, for me, it was a kind of, it was just an incredible tournament. Absolutely incredible. But Do you know, it, br- it brings back memories. Yeah. Do you know, talking about Scotland, the, a question has kind of triggered in my mind, mate, and it's a psychology one. Um, so a friend of mine and a previous guest on a podcast, a chap called Gordon Sheak, and he writes, uh, he runs a blog called The Tartan Scarf, which is a Scotland kind of focus blog that he writes and he kind of, you know, does all stuff around the team, the results and kind of his thoughts on the squad, etc. One thing that he's trying to push at the moment is this removal of this kind of Scottish, the Scotland national team mentality of negativity all the time. And he's trying to push positivity all the time. And I think it's something that's dogged Scotland since Euro 96 and probably a long time before that as well. A kind of, we're going into games, I'm a Scotland fan, um, going into games thinking that we're going to lose half the time. Fans do. I think there's a real kind of, shift that's required in mentality of the fans do you do you ever think there's something that you can do to help with that any kind of like you know is it the fans fault is it the players fault is it the nation's fault I I don't know I I think what you've kind of described there probably is glorious failure yes I think like see I remember my dad um, he tells me about times when he was growing up he him and his mates always used to go down to like say the Scotland England games at Wembley Mm. So he loved following Scotland uh, when he was growing up. And I think when you're reaching, like say back then, in the 70s and whatnot, in the 80s, we, we Scotland were at the vast majority of tournaments. Yeah. And I think even at 98, like say 98 is the last one we've been at, but 
you just assume we were at 96, we were at 98. So we're going to be at 2002. Yeah. And then we'll be at 2004 after that or whatnot. And I think that we've now, the longer you're away from these tournaments, I think the more that that narrative sets in. Yes. Oh, we're not as good as what we used to be. Oh, we've not got a Dalgleish. Oh, we've not got a Sunis. We've not got this. We've not got that. Results, we're, we're backing that narrative up on the part because we're not being that successful. We're missing out on kind of these big tournaments. And then before you know it, we've got the narrative of our players aren't as good. We've mm. got the narrative of, like, say, we're not making the major tournaments. Maybe the individual results and qualifications aren't great. And we've just got this real, as you say, negative narrative. And I think... That's not just Scotland that suffers from it. I think a lot of um, clubs and international teams do. But yeah. if you take take someone like Wales, would it be even Northern Ireland to a certain extent? But Wales, Wales qualified for 2016. And then I'm sure they've qualified for the next one or that. There's now an expectation on Wales to qualify, if that makes sense. And there's yeah. now Northern Ireland are going to run it a lot closer. And what I would say is, have Scotland, have Northern Ireland players got, have Northern Ireland got better players in Scotland? I don't believe that they have. No. Have Wales, you can maybe argue yes, but if they have, I'd probably still say the Scotland individually. Oh, granted, we've not got Gareth Bale, but if you remove Gareth Bale, I think Scotland have probably got better players than yeah. Wales. So my look at it is, well, if they can do it, why can't we? And I do think, like, say, that qualifying for this year's tournament, I think that'll be a massive shift. Yeah, and the mentality, and hopefully by getting to one, it increases our chances of getting to the next one. And if we can get to the next one again, it's just sort of it's building the momentum. Can you change the narrative without changing the results and without reaching tournaments? A hundred percent, you can. But right. what I would say is very, 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 very difficult because you need the press to change the narrative. You need you to change your narrative. Me to change my narrative. Yeah. It's not impossible, but it's no far off being impossible. Which. Yeah. Again, for clubs or international teams, what's the quickest way to change the narrative? Change the results, yeah. which is easier said than done at times. Well, mate, fingers crossed that narrative does change because it's one I think a lot of us are tired of with Scotland. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed for the summer. So, mate, your final shirt choice is the Brazil home shirt used at the France 98 World Cup. Yeah. So, I'd say there, 96 was the first tournament that I remembered but the first one that I remember clearly was World Cup 98. Yeah. And that was one of them. I remember running home from school, chucking the bag down, and it was Scotland-Brazil. Yeah. Um, I, I forgot Scotland. It's funny, I forgot Scotland played. When I picked that kit, I forgot Scotland played Brazil at that tournament. But Opening game, yeah. I was meaning to tell a story, actually, about the 96 kit. And I interviewed John Collins in the book, and I got him to talk me through hitting that penalty against Tafarel. Yeah. Opening game of the World Cup. Um, I've done when the gyms were open previously I used to do quite a lot of training with John we used to train in the same gym and right. I always used to tell him like Tafarel was past it Tafarel was this age <laughs> that age but he spoke through like say hitting that he spoke through hitting that penalty and even the going back to 96 I was watching obviously ITV I've done a rerun of the games and it was Scotland Holland in the nil nil game and John Collins is standing on that with a tartan kit on the line yeah. and he palms one off the line clear right. penalty clear red card and I remember messaging him and I think he about it and I think he takes back good save um, <laughs> but that I remember running home for school I remember everything about that tournament I I remember watching the England Argentina that was Mike Lone's goal 
I remember yeah. watching that game. Monko was in. I remember us. I'm certainly not like this now, but I remember cheering wildly when Argentina scored, and um, it was a, ah, it was a, a tournament I loved. And the reason I I chose the Brazil kit or the yellow one, yeah. Growing up, I touched upon it. I'm always I've always been a football nut. And back then, is it VHS, as they call it, before DVDs? Yeah. I remember getting, like, say, the 100 goals of the World Cup, or I remember, like, say, the history of football, or I remember getting all these videos or World Cups for past and watching them again and again. Yeah. And the country that always seemed to be there was Brazil. And it was always that yellow kit with the blue shorts, whether it was your guys like Pele, or even round about that time, just before 98, um, remember Roberto Carlos's free kick yeah. against France although that wasn't in the tournament again that was in the yellow kit and then you had Ronaldo he was obviously playing at Inter Milan at the time mm-hmm. arguably one of the world's best players but what was going on at that time was Channel 4 yes. what was the programme called? Football um, Italia Football Italia so mm-hmm. you had Ronaldo on your TV every Sunday or every Saturday with the highlights and then the Sunday with the game Mm. And then you chuck Roberto Carlos into this and you chuck, obviously, Brazil were a, quite a successful team. They'd won the World Cup before and whatnot. And then that kit, and then obviously what what then played out at the final. I still remember it. I'm not saying I remember it clearly, but Ronaldo's starting. Oh, I've just had news Ronaldo's no starting. He's had a yeah. breakdown or Des Lynam's kind of, and Alan Hansen, they couldn't get it. And then next yeah. minute, or Ronaldo is starting. And then obviously the went into the finals, the dance goals and whatnot, but aye, even the semi-finals, Croatia, Davar Sukar ended up at, like, say, Arsenal and that as a result. It was just that, that along with 96, if I could play two tournaments or replay them, it would be yeah. that. And even, I spoke about Sports Division earlier, the shop. Yeah. I don't know if it was Sports Division or JJB at that time, but when you went into, like, say, the World Cup, along the back, the top row, they yep. used to have all the World Cup kits, so you could get the Croatia kit, you could get, like, say, obviously the Holland, remember Dennis Bergkamp's goal, you could get all these kits, and it was, it's normally club kits, but since it was an international tournament, you had all these kind of international kits, and thankfully it was a tournament where Scotland's kit was on that top row as yeah. well, because <laughs> just the, I think, the history of the of that yellow kit, and it's still, I think, it's still probably one of the most iconic kits in the world yeah. today. Yeah, mate, it's beautiful. It's, well, look, it's three absolutely amazing choices. Thanks so much for your time, John. Like, I, seriously, I speak to you all bloody night. Like, it's, it's such an interesting <laughs> stuff you do. So people can subscribe to your podcast. It's called The Football Mindset. Yeah, The Football Mindset podcast. You'll get that on Apple or Spotify. And also uh, pick up your book on Amazon as well. That's Master Your Confidence. Hi, Master Your Confidence is a book. And if anybody did want to follow on socials, I would say Instagram and it's at Football Mindset. But on the flip of that, everything I do is for professional footballers. Yeah. So if you've not got that much interest in the mental side of the game, if you've not got that much interest in reading information about helping professional footballers build confidence, following me on your socials probably won't be too much of a hoot <laughs> for you, but... Gain any questions off the back of the podcast, feel free to put them in and I'll I'll make sure I try and answer them. Love it, mate. Thanks so much. It's absolutely brilliant. Cheers, John. No bother. Thank you. So there you have it. Massive thanks to John for sharing his football kit memories with me. 
You can follow me and my own collection on Instagram or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow John on the socials too. Check out his podcast as well as his book, Master Your Confidence. The music was produced by Evil Ed. Check out his music on his Bandcamp. There's links to everything I've mentioned in the notes section. And finally, thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word, give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on the podcast player of your choice. And other than that, I'll catch you next time.